Hi there, and welcome to a different way of seeing. Have you ever wondered how a disabled person lives their life? Join our host Lois Drachen as she chats to people about work, education, travel, sport, the arts, and leisure, and the tools and techniques they use to live their lives with the disability. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and thank you for joining us on this episode of A Different Way of Seeing, a podcast where we talk all things disability. Today, we are talking with Lee Haskin, whose experiences she shared with me a few weeks ago over the phone. And I just thought immediately that I wanted to bring her onto the podcast to chat to her so she could share her story with you as well. Lee, hi there. Welcome to the podcast. Jay, and thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to also share my story. It's really great to have you with us. And maybe we can start off by just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. Who is Lee? And tell us a little of your background. So I'm Lee Haskin. I am 48 years old. Or shall I say, 48 years young. <laughs> I am a single mother of three children. Um, I, I was born with a cleft lip and cleft palate. I'm the youngest child of nine, nine siblings, as well as a foster sister. So altogether, we 10. And um, yes, my mom was also a single parent raising all of us. Um, I have a background in the medical field, um, not when I was in the field, I never, I never worked with the, um, within the disability sector. So, um, I've matriculated some over 20 years back. And, um, yeah, I've, uh, I was always eager to go into social working, but due to my, um, financial background and things like that, it was never really possible. Um, you know, when you matriculate, you need to go work. So, yeah, there's never any chances of going any further than having your matric or grade 12, as they say these days. So, yeah, in a nutshell, that's Lee Haskin. Great. Well, thank you for introducing yourself. Now, one of the three children that you mentioned is Connor. And you also mentioned in the introduction that you didn't previously have any experience of working within the disability sector. Tell us about Connor and his experiences that introduced you to the world of disability. Okay, so um, yes, Connor is now eight years old, thank God. And um, Connor, during my pregnancy, there was never ever any signs or doctors being concerned that there will be anything wrong with Connor. Um, there's during my whole pregnancy, everything went fine. And then um, I was still supposed to be on night duty um, the 18th of June. And then I just didn't feel well. Um, so with the, um, having said that, I called in and said, I'm, um, I'm not feeling well. I'll be there like the next night to report for duty. That night, the um, quarter past three, 
I went into labor the 19th of June, 2014. Labor went quick and Connor was born. When Connor was born, I was all alone. There was no doctors, no nurses around me. I gave birth and I called the nurse and I said, but my, my child was just born. Oh, I just given birth. And she quickly ran to go fetch the doctor. They took Connor and I, saw, I looked over and I saw by the drawing blood from him. And I asked, but why are you drawing blood from him? He's a newborn child. And they just told me, well, it's procedures. It's normal. And I said, please, this is not normal. And they continued to ignore me. And the doctor and nurse continued with their conversation. And I just heard Down syndrome. Mm. And I didn't really understand what. I, I heard the word previously, but I didn't really know what it was. Um, and I know it was something, but. What, what it was, I couldn't understand. And they continued to do the test and things. They turned around, Dr. placed Connor in my, in my arms. And they, and they said, um, even if he's Down syndrome, um, he's still your child. If he cries too much, bring him back to the hospital. They turn around and walk away, leaving me with, with this little baby and not explaining to me what is happening. What he, what can I expect in the future? So I was looking at my, my newborn baby and I'm thinking, what's wrong? Because I don't understand. I don't know what, what does Down syndrome mean? Does it mean my child is paralyzed? Does it mean, you know, a lot of things goes through your mind at that time. And I thought, did I do something wrong? Was it something I should have done differently? And, you know, you go through all those steps. And as I was looking down on my baby and I just, and I noticed tears falling on his face and I didn't even realize I was crying. I don't know why I was crying. I think it was more to the fact that, you know, you, you feel so guilty at that point because, you know, there's something wrong with the child, but you don't know what, what was or what is the cause. And you're thinking, did you do something wrong? Should you, should you have done something differently? Is it something that, that can be treated? And I got no answers. They just left me there. And the only thing they were, they told me was, the doctor told me was, if he cries too much, bring him back to the hospital. So I'm like thinking, why would the child just continue to cry? And I went on to Google, but you know, sometimes Google is not your, your best friend. Um, as they always give you the worst case scenarios. And they gave me a, a day to come back in two weeks for, for the blood results. And within that two weeks, Connor was very sick. It was up and down the whole time with Connor. Connor even at, at home, Connor stopped breathing. But luckily, um, you know, with it, within my my working background, I could perform CPR on him at home, but always keeping in mind there was a condition with this child. What is the condition? I'm not familiar with it. And at the age of two weeks, Connor was admitted at Red Cross Children's Memorial Hospital. 
And I was told that was the very first time I was told that whatever my religious beliefs is, if it is that my child should be baptized, I must bring him, I must call my rabbi or priest or pastor, and they must come and baptize my child. And the, do- and the doctor still asked me um, to move out of the room because he don't want me to panic. And I said, but if I, if I wanted to panic, I would have panicked at home already. And if I had panicked at home, I wouldn't have been able to perform CPR on my child and I wouldn't have gotten my child to start breathing again in order for you to perform your work. So continue your work. I'll just stand out of your way in the corner and I turned around and I called my brother who was, a, who was a pastor and I said, I think you must come and you must baptize Connor. And he said, he's, he's, he's on his way. And immediately after that call was disconnected, I called him back and I said, no, don't come. Connor's not going to have a, bapti- a baptism like this. He's going to have a baptism at church, at home, and we're going to give everything. And they said, but what did the doctor say? And I said, the doctor can't tell me. I'm telling, and I, and I, and I disconnected that call. And, I, and that is when I started call, um, speaking to God. And I said, and I know within those two weeks, I questioned God a lot. I couldn't understand, and due to my past, and due to my upbringing, and due to my condition, I know what I went through as a child. All the name calling, all the you know, um, it was it wasn't a, not a nice experience to put it lightly for me growing up. It wasn't it wasn't, and to have now a child who also have a condition which I didn't fully understand at that time. It actually took me back to a time where I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. And at that time, while the doctors was busy on Connor, I told God, you've chosen me as the mother for this child. Don't give my child and take him back. I am willing to do whatever I need to, even if it, if I need to educate myself, just so that I can know how to, in the long run, take better care of Connor but you're not taking my child. And I remember the a a second or two after I just said, amen, the doctors came out. They said, mommy, you can come in. I don't even have to say the big smile I had on my face (laughs) at that time. So, yeah, that was the first time. What was the the hardest thing that you about... You know, the, the obstacles that you faced as a family after Connor's diagnosis. Okay, so what happened with Connor? Um, when Connor was when Connor was born, I had such a lot of plans. You know, um, we would have moved into a bigger house. We would have done this, that. So there was a lot of plans. I was a working mother. Um, I, I had my own salary. I could take care of my children. All of that. And now I have Connor, and Connor came with his own package, you know, medical package. And there was such a lot of demands, especially financially. 
And because Connor ended up in ICU, in a coma, on life support, and then I had to make a decision to either do my work or my child. So I had to resign. So being a single mom, raising my children, where one is a special needs child, and being unemployed, that was one of my biggest challenges. And because we stay in a community where people is very judgmental, um, they are uneducated when it comes to the disability sector. They always think if, if you have a child born with a uh, disability, it's always something you could have prevented or something you could have done differently. So I was all alone, unemployed, and also trying to educate myself on the best way to understand my child's conditions. So I would say that was our biggest challenge. And then also Colin, who is Connor's oldest brother, he's now 16 years old. At that time, he was eight, nine years old. He also went through a lot. He, um, a lot of, um, when his schoolmates found out about Connor, they started making fun of him. And he was also very depressed at that time. It was to the point where he even started writing me letters. We wanted to commit suicide. Mm. And so it was, it was very difficult, I have to say. The early stages um, of Connor's life, the first year or two of Connor's life was very difficult for both me and Colin. So we had to adapt and we had to adapt to a new normal. The, the life that we had or that we thought we had had uh, changed overnight. It changed overnight and we were not prepared for it. But we made the best of what was dealt to us. What I know of your story, I I think there is, you, it, it's just shown so much strength and resilience. And, you know, it's one of the things that really drew me to your story. And in talking to you, I, I keep being reminded of that. I want to skip forward a few years to something that happened more recently. Yes. About the case that you took to the Equality Court in South Africa about because of something that happened to yourself and to Connor. Yes. Tell us about that. What so, happened and what happened in the court case? So this particular day, I remember it very clearly. Um, it was in April, um, just before Easter. So I went to the shop, our local shop, we, and this is a shop that I've been attended for the past 10 years. They know me very well. They know my children very well. They know Connor's condition very well. And this particular day was actually the morning hours, around about um, between 10, 11 the morning. So both me, Connor, Colin, and my, my little baby, that time is now three years old, so we went to the shop and Connor was in his buggy. So the buggy, for those who don't know, is a special needs wheelchair. So Connor was in his, in his wheelchair. And for some reason, as we came in, and the funniest thing about this, I went to the shop and we went to go and buy some snacks for the children. 
and we were stopped at just as I entered the the shop, and I was told you're not allowed to come in with him, and was shown to to Connor, and I looked and I said, but why? And I was told that um no, and I was actually shown to a A4 page pasted on the inside of the shop that stated on no prams allowed. And I said, but this is not a pram. This is a wheelchair. Yes, but, and they said, yes, but even um, that is also not allowed. And I said, but why? I said, we, we, uh, we can't go into this. I just need to go, they, they told me. I turned around and I walked away because I didn't want, and I, and I remember I told them, I'm not going to leave it like this. But I also didn't want to make a scene in front of Connor because Connor is, when I'm, when I'm upset, Connor is upset. Of course. So I'm, I, I, I got out with my children and we walked. Now, Connor's a child. I've, I've taken him to many shops. I've taken him to the malls. I've taken him everywhere. And he's not a child that will take stuff from the racks. No, not him. And you won't take, even if you put something in his hand, you won't take it. You don't, um, unless it's something that I or his brother put in his hand, now we will take it. But he don't take stuff that people put in his hand. Even if it's a chocolate, a packet of chips, no, we don't take it. And we are win. And as, as we walk, so my oldest son asked me, Mommy, what just happened? And I, I couldn't explain to him because I felt so hurt. And he said, Mommy, but what? you didn't buy us anything. And I remember not answering him. And I called um, Red Cross um, Val Hoy from um, the Down Syndrome Support in, at Red Cross Children's Hospital. And I told her, this is, this is what happened. Um, I know somewhere, somehow, um, Connor's rights was violated. I don't know. What the rights? I I said, and I said, but I, I'm not feeling well. I'm not feeling happy. I'm feeling sad. Um, this is not right. I said, and she said, well, oh, well, can't take your local newspapers. And I thought, but this is not the way I want to go about this. Um, I don't believe in going to the streets and throwing tantrums and things like that. Um, which I'm not saying it's people that does it is wrong or whatever. That it's just not my way of doing mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to my local police station and I went to speak to the station commander and I said, my son was just denied access to, to a store because he's in a wheelchair. I don't know what case I can open, but obviously it must be a case. And then he said, um, ma'am, this is not a, um, this is not a criminal case, but a civil case. And I asked him, but what does that mean? Civil case and criminal case, I don't know. And he said, this is something to do with the, um, with the human rights. So that is what a, a civil case is. And I said, so where do I lay a complaint for a civil case? And he said, not here. You need to get a lawyer. And, and, I, and I'm thinking at that time, oh, it's, all of this don't, just don't sound right. But also what he did is he asked two officers to go with me to the shop. And they accompanied me to the shop. And at that time, they called the shop manager 
I didn't, I've seen this man many times in the shop. I never knew he was the manager. And um, the officers went in with me and they spoke with, with, with this gentleman. And he said, but he don't make the rules, the boss make the rules. And um, the officers all said, but you know, this is wrong what you've done. You can't say she's not allowed to come in with your, with your son. And then he proceeded, he looked at me and he said, now you know for next time not to bring your child to the shop again. And at that point, again, it just angered me. And I, and I walked out, leaving the two officers there. And I went on to social media. And I think it was um, the Disability Forum. Um, people, yeah, I think it's a Disability Forum that I've spoken to. And I've explained it to them. And I said, but this is what happened. And they put me in contact with Weber Winsor. Um, and then they said they are taking on our case pro bono. And they've given me the lawyer. Um, I did Haldenace. And only then is that I realized but what they've done was actually discriminate against Connor and him being in a wheelchair and being a disabled child. As that went on, the shop owner and the store manager's wife came to my house and they came with a chocolate. And the shop owner said, but um, he came and he said, oh, I heard there was police and he saw on these cameras that it was me. And he, and he said, but he knows me because I'm a regular in his shop. And then he said, but um, for future, um, I can either leave Connor in his buggy at the door of his shop or I can take Connor out of his buggy so that Connor can crawl in the shop or I can carry Connor while doing my shopping, or I can leave Connor by, his, by one of the store um, attendants. And I, and I said, but none of that works for me because nobody will know how to communicate with Connor and Connor's not going to stay with anybody. And I don't feel it's right that my child should crawl in your store that is so dirty. And also I don't um think it's right that for you to ask me to leave my child outside of your store in his buggy or even leave his buggy outside for anybody to come and steal it. And then he asked to take a photo of Connor and I asked, but why? And he said, oh, just to show that um, I, I don't have any hard feelings for people with disabilities. And he gave Connor a chocolate and, but Connor didn't eat the chocolate and I still said, but Sorry, uh, thank you, but um, Connor, don't eat chocolates. And then he left. And and he, and, and he feels um, that it was it, it, it's fine to leave my son outside or to crawl. And what angered me more was <clears throat> as people started noticing or realizing that there was a court case, people was so cruel to me saying I'm making a big thing over nothing. That was, you know, in a walking distance was this shop. I don't have my, um, my own transport. I make use of public transport and that is money. If I need to book an Uber, it's money. 
and I had to give up my work and people didn't want to understand um, why I did what I did. And people thought, oh, it was because of money that I'm doing this. I wanted fame. And I said, it's never about the money. It's about the principle behind it. It's about treating everybody equal. And I said, when God gave Connor back to me, after that whole ICU ordeal, I made a, a promise not to anybody, but to God. And I said, I will never, ever allow anybody to disrespect Connor. So during this whole ordeal with this court case, I had no support from my, from my community. The only support I got was from the disability sector, where people really understood why I did what I did. And I, I can honestly say it. Um, I did Haldanese even told me do not go onto social media because you're going to read stuff that people say and it's going to upset you more. And I stayed away from social media at that point. And um, about a year later, um, we, won the we won the court case on the basis of discrimination because he, di uh, he discriminated Connor being a child with a disability and in a wheelchair. And so, having said that you were successful and won the court case, that they acknowledged that there had been discrimination, has the shop owner allowed Connor into the store? I, I mean, what is, I, I realize you may not choose to go back to that store, but what has his response been, the store okay. owner? So the judgment on that court case was, so um, they actually asked me, do I want, because I've got Connor Haven, so they asked me, do I want him to make a contribution towards Connor's Haven? So I said, no, I don't want him to make a donation towards Connor's Haven. I want him to make a donation towards, if we should win, um, towards um, Red Cross Children's Hospital. And then, so we went um the magistrate gave um spoke about it and she said okay so it's five thousand towards red cross children's hospital and then five thousand towards connor's next buggy and then he needed to um apologize in writing to me and to be quite honest um he never apologized afterwards never till this date never ever apologized and also i never went back to the shop. I also never, ever took Connor back to that shop. Um, and it's actually a pity because that was one of our outings. You know, when, was, when it's a nice day outside, I could put Connor in his buggy and I could take him for a walk to the shop to go and buy whatever. Um, just for the mere fact that I know how they feel about Connor. Um, I've never, ever gone back with Connor to the shop. Never. Until this date, never, ever gone back. I can understand that. In that last section, you mentioned Connor's Haven. Tell us about Connor's Haven. How, what is it? And how did it start? Okay. So Connor's Haven actually started at Red Cross, at Red Cross Children's Hospital um, when Connor was admitted. So what is Connor's Haven? 
Kindness Haven serves disabled children and their families who comes from some of the lowest financial income margins in Cape Town. We educate and spread awareness of the challenges faced by disabled children and their families. Kindness Haven provides connections and resources to these families. We also is a safe space for the caregivers of these children to feel supported and understood. So what do we try to do, Conishaven? We try to, to bring some hospital services closer to home. And again, I have to say Conishaven started because of Connor. Conishaven started with our personal journey. As I said in, in the beginning, I didn't understand when Connor was first diagnosed. There was nobody that could, that could speak to me and explain to me at that point. So then that is where I realized and I saw the need for resources because there was no resources. And when I say no resources, I mean for people on the Cape Flats, that is where Connor's Haven work. We work on the Cape Flats. For those who listen who don't know, we do have international listeners. What, where is the Cape Flats? What is the Cape Flats? Tell us a little bit more, just to give us some background. Cape Flats is one of the poorest communities in the Western Cape. And the Western Cape is also one of the provinces in South Africa. So this is where most of the people or where Poverty, unemployment is at the highest um, levels. Um, this is where most of the people have no to little resources. Housing, low to very limited. Um, and most of these, uh, most of these people, in this, if I have to bring it back to the disability sector, most of these parents are single, single parents raising their children. This is where most of these parents are unemployed, not because they, they choose to be unemployed, but because they don't have the resources and they don't have the finances to get somebody to take care of their child while they go to work. So this is Cape Town in a, oh, the Cape Flats on a nutshell. And how did you reach out to others in your community to share the value that Connors Haven can give to parents, to caregivers, and to those children as well. So as I said, Connors Haven started at, at the hospital, right? So while I was sitting next to Connor, um, Connor's bed, um, bed, some of the nurses, they already started bringing parents to me. Um, Parents who have children with disabilities and don't know how to cope, don't know how, how to act. They don't know, you know, they have no, no resources when they leave the hospital. So they need somebody to speak to when they leave the hospital. Um, you have all these resources for as long as you are in the hospital or as long as your child is admitted in the hospital, but there's a life outside of the hospital. So I started my very first the very first beneficiaries of, of, of Connors Haven, the very first members, was signed up at the hospital. 
and word of mouth mouth spread like wildfire. Um, this parents went home. They went to go speak to the, uh, another parent who have a child with a disability, and that parent went to go speak to another um, child with a dis um, or have a uh, child with a disability. And then I came home, and I would, you know, um, it's it's strange, but before Connor's Haven, I always never thought of myself as somebody that will stand up and speak in front of a crowd, stand up and speak, um, you know, be a, a guest speaker or anything. But when I started Connor's Haven, I would walk around, would go to the malls. If I see a, a parent or have a child with a disability, I would go to them. I would say, excuse me, my name is Lee and you are? And I said, um, if you don't mind, I would like to speak to, to you about your child. And strange enough, uh, the uh, parents are so open-minded. All we want, and the reason why I say we, is because I am one of these parents. And the reason I could be so successful for the past seven years with Connor Haven is because I know firsthand the needs of these parents. Because I'm going through that on a daily basis. So I would I would go to them, I would speak to them, I would find these parents in the malls, I would find these parents in the hospitals, I would find these parents on the road. And then also, I've also um, formed alliance with other, with other organizations within the disability sector. And um, I've teamed up with them and they would recommend or send parents to me and I would send parents to them like one of the organizations is Sonacop. Um, we work very, I work very well with, with Sonacop. I make use of them. I make use of their social workers and, and all of that. And also they, they would come out to Connors, to Connors Haven, um, where we would give workshops, talk on, talks on disabilities. You know, let's talk disabilities. They would educate the parents, um, on how to, you know, do some, physio or OT at home because as I said we serve a community that is very underprivileged so the peer, parents don't normally go to the hospital not because they don't want to they consider they consider physiotherapists OTs group sessions and things like that as not a priority reason why is because they make use of public transport and the public transport don't want to be bothered with us in our children with wheelchairs. And we do not have money to take up a Uber to the doctor every time for all those necessaries. So what we are doing or what Connorshaven is trying to do, we are bringing those services a little bit closer to home. So this is what um, we also... Together with John McCook, Connors Haven had a medical seating where, Connors, where Sean McCook came out and we did the medical seating and all of those children received free mobile devices from Sean McCook. So this is how I've partnered up with a lot of all the other organizations because on my own, I, can, I cannot give them the, uh, the services. But also these parents, a lot of these parents, they don't know about Zoom. They don't know about WhatsApp. They don't know about this. They need one-on-one -on -one interactions. So this is what, what has been happening. And 
you know, for the past seven years, I was very successful. But also, I need to say this, I've worked from home. I've been struggling very hard to get um, a place. So to have all those parents or some of those parents, sometimes we need to break it in three over a period of three, four days to do group sessions like that because now um, I do it in my living room. I need to take all of my furniture out of the living room to accommodate the parents and things like that, you know. So this is how we've been working. And it's been a huge, a huge success for the past seven years. As I said earlier, story of resilience and definitely finding ways with limited resources. What is your intention? And you know, well, the other thing is, I love that you call it Connor's Haven and Resource Center. And I think that from what I'm hearing, being a resource to other parents, being a place where they can find the information that you struggled to find when yes. Connor was first born is quite central to what you're doing with Connor's Haven. What are your plans for the future? So what are we what we're we trying to do? So for the past year, for the past seven years, we've been running the resource center. And so now what we are aiming to do, we want to move into our own building where we can expand and also open a daycare center for children with disabilities because really we we lack that in our communities. There is so little. If I should speak just about my community that I stay in, there's nothing, not even one for Connor to go. The nearest that Connor can go to is when they pick up Connor in the morning, I um, say half past seven, Connor only reaches his center at between 10 o'clock and half past 10. So if we could have one within our own community, within our own ward, just imagine how good that would be. And that will also give the, the parents that opportunity to do something totally different than just to have to sit at home taking care of your own child. Yes, we love our children. We want them to have the best. But what I am also saying, and this is when I have, when, when I struggle with other people, when it comes to don't just accept when people say, put your child into that school. Put your child because your child have this disability and that disability. Why? My question is always why? Why does other people have they can choose. Why don't I have options? Why don't Connor have options? Give me options. Don't tell me you only, he must just go there. He must just do that. I always say no. You give me options because that is our human right. We have options. We can decide what is good for us. You cannot, and this is what I always tell um, um, my, uh, the parents. I always tell them, listen. You are the only expert when it comes to your child because you are with your child 24-7. You know the abilities and capabilities that your child have. Don't let anybody put your child in a box. Never, ever. So true. So what is it 
that you are needing to fulfill that dream, that plan. (laughs) It's not a dream, it's a plan. (laughs) What do you need to make it come happen? So um, also one of our, um, our biggest struggles that we have is transport. Our people struggle to get from point A to point B. And, you know, finances, I don't have. We kind of even don't have finances. So if we really are in need of finances, and maybe um, if anybody have transport that they feel they they are not in need anymore or they have an extra one um, that they can really donate to Connors Haven because this is also what that is what is part of what we do. This is also part of our services. We go and visit the members at their houses. We um because sometimes the parents get especially the mom, she can especially do um what happened during COVID. They get depressed because now they are at home all the time with the child. There's no routine. They just need somebody else to talk to. And now we need to, to go to that, to their houses. We need to go and speak to them. We need to reassure them. Listen, there is somebody out there that you can speak to. I am here. I am willing to listen. I am willing to be here anytime. And believe me when I say anytime, um, People call me up really any time of the day or night <laughs> to come and speak. Um, mothers pitch up at my door at any given time. And because I know it is really a need when somebody just pitch up at your door, it's not because they are bored at their place. Because having a, being a, a parent, you know, there's always work at your house. But when a parent comes and they just sit for five, ten minutes, and not say a word, then you know there is something. And I can honestly and I can truly say, through Connor's Haven, I've become a doctor, I've become a social worker, I've become the best friend, I've become the sister, the mother, the everything to my community. And when I say my community, I'm talking about the disability community. That is my community. That is Connors Haven's community. So really, we are in need of finances. We are in need of our own transport. And more of all, we urgently and desperately need our own place that we can work from. That is that is really um, what we need because we really need to. This is something that should have happened years back because the need is so great. And it just increases as uh, with each passing day, it just increases. Lee, if someone would like to reach out to you to offer help or just to find out more about your story, how can they do so? So we are on, we are all over social media. Um, we've got a, I've got, we've got a WhatsApp telephone number um, that is on the South African code plus 27 061-749-6932. We are also on Facebook. So on Facebook, we've got two pages that are actually linked together. The one is the Connors Haven 
and Resource Center. And the other one is Connor, my special angel. So on Connor, my special angel is normally where I talk about Connor's journey, but also we started with Connor's Havens on that page. So it's actually two, two uh, pages, but you can find more or less um, both Connor's Haven and um, Connor's journey. Then we are on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We have we also have an email address, which is Connor's Haven, C O N O R S H A V E N at gmail.com. That is how people can get a hold of us. And then also we've got a give and gain account. If people uh, feel they maybe want to make a contribution towards um, Connors Haven and they feel what we are doing is good, we also have a, a give and gain account as well. We will add links to all of those contacts in the show notes so that as people listen to the podcast and hear your story, they can reach out to you. Lee, as a final question, and you've been through this yourself, you've supported other parents, other caregivers with children with disabilities. What advice would you give to a parent, to a caregiver? with a new child with a disability? Always know, first of all, always know you are the only expert on your child. Love life as if there is no tomorrow. Remember today is a blessing. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And when, if it's a first diagnosis, it's not your fault. You did nothing wrong. It's just sometimes people normally say, um, God choose special people to have specialist children. I would always ask when people ask, uh, tell me that, I'm like, so why did I do that was so special? You know, and I can't think of anything that I've done that was so special. But what I'm saying is, it takes a strong person to raise a special needs child. So tap on your shoulder and say, I'm the best for this child. I've done nothing wrong. I will raise my child with my head up high. I will, I will do whatever God wants me to do. Sometimes this road of ours is not always, it's not always just sunshine. We will shed tears. We do shed tears, but we don't just shed tears anytime. Also, one thing that I want to say, you know, um, and, and I love saying this, especially with our parents, is people always keen to say, it takes a village to raise a child. When they say that, they refer to the non-disabled child. So if it takes that child in the mainstream, if it takes a village to raise that child, then my question is, what does it take to raise a child with a disability? 
you'd like to reach out to Lee and find out more about Connors Haven and Resource Center, I have included all the links in the show notes. And if you feel that you're able to make a contribution to the work that Lee is doing, there's also a link there on how to donate. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to A Different Way of Seeing. We would love to connect with you. So find Lois at loisstrachen.com or Facebook, Lois Strachen Speaker. This podcast was edited by Craig Strachen using Hindenburg Pro. Hindenburg, it's all about the story. The credits are done at Naledi Media. Naledi Media, all your vocal needs under one roof. Read by Charlie Jassy. That's it for now. Thank you for joining us and see you next time when we bring you into the world of seeing differently.